This is On Location. I'm Joe Mamlin. Today's episode comes to you on location from California and Maryland. But first, On Location is produced by the NCO Communications Committee with special production assistance from Tim Leitner and me. You can find the podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many more. On today's episode, host Veronica Riley welcomes Dr. Marcella Wilson. Dr. Wilson is an expert on poverty and the possibilities that exist to eradicate it. She's the founder of the organization Transition to Success, which designed and implemented an evidence-based system of care for understanding and treating the condition of poverty. She's the author of the book Diagnosis Poverty, and her work has been showcased on the CBS Evening News, the New York Times, and recognized by the Clinton Global Initiative. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. edition of the NCA On Location podcast. I'm Veronica Riley of Veronica Riley Training and Consulting, and I'll be your host today. According to the 2022 U.S. Census, the poverty rate in the United States was 11.5%, with 37.9 million people living in poverty. And of course, the supplemental poverty measure would put that at an even higher percentage, more like 12.4. And a staggering statistic Female single parent households have actually a 24.7 poverty rate. So you can see that's just an astounding, those are just astounding statistics. So, and poverty is obviously something that affects our industry and child support greatly. So very excited today to have with us a special guest. We have Dr. Marcella Wilson. She's an expert on poverty and the possibilities that exist to eradicate it. She is the founder of the organization Transition to Success which designed and implemented an evidence-based system of care for understanding and treating the condition of poverty. She is also the author of the book, Diagnosis Poverty. Welcome, Dr. Marcella Wilson. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So Marcella, you have a very interesting journey that led you to where you are today and to the work that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I would be happy to, and it, it's really a good question because it sets the table of how this work came to fruition. Um, uh, my PhD is in health administration and higher education administration, and I was blessed with a very rich career uh, running health plans and health care provider organizations over the course of 20 years. Um, approximately 17 years ago, I decided to leave health care and get back to my social work roots and run a charity. 
So I assumed a job as a CEO at a struggling charity in Detroit and thought I was some pretty hot stuff. I had been running multi-million dollar corporations covering vast geographic areas. So this was a charity in, in Detroit. Um, and I thought, you know, that was gonna be a wonderful way to end my career. Well, what I always do when I take over a company is I pretend to be a customer. And I didn't want this job to be any different. So for my first two days on the job, I pretended to be a single mother with three children looking for services for food, childcare, and employment. And at that time, internet was not uh, readily available in Detroit. And I used a phone with unlimited minutes and a phone book. And I attempted to access services for myself and my pretend three children. After two full work days, I was unable to secure a single service for myself or for my pretend kids, including at the organization I was running. When I inquired about Head Start, which was one of our premier programs, I was told essentially there's no room in the inn, call next August. No referral, no information. Um, and this experience, meeting clients for the first time, seeing devastating poverty, like I had never seen. Um, some parts of Detroit at that time looked like third world countries. It was also a time during a severe recession, the collapse of the auto industry, the housing industry, and a corrupt city government. It was really ugly days, and I found myself we were serving approximately 60,000 clients a year across this delivery system, all living in poverty. And I asked a question. Remember, I came from healthcare. How do you treat this condition of poverty? And no one could answer. And so my research began, and um, I realized very quickly that unlike healthcare that has standards, if you have, well, I'll use my, I have a cold. If you have a cold in Michigan and you have a cold in California, the protocols are going to be similar, if not identical. Because in science, we all follow proven evidence-based pathways. In the treatment of poverty, it was a, a free-for-all. Every organization, practitioner can self-determine in a system where the clients have to navigate the most dysfunctional system. And so long story short, my research led me to a very significant conclusion. Poverty is not a choice. Poverty is not a character flaw. Poverty is the direct result of exposures to what are called in the science social determinants of health. Things like access to food, housing, 
health care, transportation, the basics. And if you don't have those things, you will be poor, you will be sicker, you will die younger, and you will also, statistically speaking, face a myriad of social ills like child abuse, child neglect, trauma, domestic violence, violent crime. So the key then became, how do we address those environmental exposures? And that's how the first standard of care was born. Amazing. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. So as you said, you know, you do have a background in public health and you've described poverty as a public health crisis and environmentally based medical condition and that we need to treat the condition of poverty just like we would any other health condition, you know, broken leg, cancer, the cold, et cetera. So can you tell us more about that? What does that look like in your work with transitions to success? How does that work on the ground? Thank you. So when you look at transition to success, you think of two basic foundations. The first is the paradigm shift. We want the United States as a collective to accept the science that poverty is an environmentally based condition. Then in response, a uniform treatment response with common analytics where four key best practices are implemented. And in my research and in my experience at that charity, we implemented these, not because we had a lot of money to do so, but they were the four things that I could do essentially for free. So the first evidence-based best practice is care management. And in our standard of care, care stands for coordinating all resources effectively. The second best practice is financial literacy. Giving clients the opportunity to learn particularly about predatory lending principles. The third is peer mentoring that has been demonstrated in 12-step programs over and over again. Rather than have somebody come from the suburbs into the city to mentor, we encourage people to find someone in their own community that they look up to, that they think can help them accomplish what they wish to accomplish. And the final one, and to me, probably one of the most important is volunteering. Regardless of your age, your race, your religion, your cultural background, people who volunteer do better socially, psychologically, physically, and economically. So in transition to success, we first address whatever the, the crisis is. We need food, we, have, we need housing, my baby's sick, whatever that first issue is, we address that. Once that is addressed, we ask a simple question. Would you like help coordinating all of the resources you're eligible for? And our experiences, most people do. Mm-hmm. Then if they say yes, the next question is, what's your dream? Let's map it. And it's this process of not dictating, this is what you have to do, But here's a map of my dreams workbook. 
It's going to help you identify all of your barriers. I'm going to help you learn how to identify resources. And together, we're going to hold the most expensive, extensive delivery system to help the poor in the world and in world history accountable. That is what we teach. Not the care managers do it for clients. We teach the clients how to identify their barriers, identify resources, access those resources, and with their coaches or care managers or child support specialists, then hold that delivery system accountable. Love it. So Me too. I know. I love it. It's just, it's like it goosebumps thinking about it. And, you know, working in government as, yeah, I think we've all seen the silos and the disconnects between, as you described, right? You, you had your, your scenario in which you had your fake three children and you went to try to find services and you were unsuccessful. So working in government, I think we've all seen the silos and the disconnects that exist out there. And you described uh, transition to success, TTS, the organization. And I love the way you describe this as the connective tissue. I saw that on your website as the connective tissue. I love that visual that brings all of the different programs and resources together. Um, like you were saying, ask the client, right? What does that look like for you? Um, can you expand on that a little bit? How are you able to bring, how are you able to bridge those gaps and be that connective tissue? Do you have partnerships that you've been able to build with those other agencies? What does that look like? Well, that is real interesting because prior to this podcast, I had a wonderful conversation uh, with one of our adopters in child support in Wisconsin. And their question was exactly that. Hmm. We are attempting to work collaboratively with our other stakeholders across our community who haven't been trained in TTS, haven't been oriented to TTS, but we need to work with them and hold them accountable. The key is when any organization adopts TTS, because essentially someone was inspired by the work and introduced the organization to it, um, we then offer free an opportunity to do a, what I call a community forum. You can call it a workshop, a lunch and learn, whatever, where you invite your stakeholders and we introduce them to this work. We introduce them to the paradigm shift. We introduce them to the standard of care. We introduce them to the work that you're doing and invite them to become a part of it. And if indeed they choose to, they can become a part of it peripherally and that they understand the paradigm and they understand that care managers or coaches are gonna start holding them accountable, but it also creates the next level of training. And so after that stakeholder meeting, inevitably there's at least a few providers who say, yeah, we wanna adopt this. And in that process, organizations begin to have a uniform standard of care with common language and common analytics that can be implemented relatively inexpensively and that maximizes the existing funded delivery system. Mm 
that's the key. And we call it the care network, coordinating resources effectively network. Coordinating all resources effectively network. It seems so simple, you know, when you think about it. And it's amazing to me that in all of these years with all of this money that we have not, all these resources that we have, that we have not effectively brought together all of the just the different programs. And well, I tell you, and this is going out on a tangent, you know, and if it's not relevant, I, I understand, but it's something that's I'm struggling with. Hmm. We have the first demonstrated standard of care to effectively treat the condition of poverty. We have seven independent evaluations that all indicate that people are getting better. We have seven independent evaluations that demonstrate we use the existing funded delivery system. In my mind and the mind of many of our champions, this is a scientific breakthrough. Right. Poverty is one of the most devastating conditions, uh, you know, handicapping our country. Mm-hmm. But to get the attention is, is a struggle and it baffles me. I, you know, I don't understand why it, it's not being embraced on, on so many levels even more so. And we've been very good with traction, but you know, this is breaking news here. It is, I mean, it really is, but I I don't know if that goes back to, and I struggle with this too. Does that go back to that first piece that you talked about, which is that paradigm shift in that, that way of thinking, right? Of of not blaming people. I have to agree with you. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this but the character flaw mentality started when our country started. And the whole concept of deserving and undeserving poor. Right. And the whole issue of oppression and uh, poor education, which is one of the social determinants. And that bias continues today with character flaw mentality. And I hear stories all the time of people having their awakenings of, oh my gosh, I used to think that. You know, uh, I was for one, a healthcare administrator that said, what's the matter with these moms? Why aren't they bringing their babies to their well visits? They're free. Never realizing that they didn't have transportation. They didn't have childcare. They didn't have money for parking. That, that mindset is the first and foremost priority of this organization. I love that. And that ex- extends, you know, the work that we do in child support. I know myself when I was a brand new caseworker coming in right out of college and I didn't understand it either. I have had my own journey, you know, and I'm in, I'm not embarrassed to say it, I'll say it, but you know, I've had my own journey of discovery yeah. and an epiphany, if you will, but learning over the years that that our clients are not necessarily not paying their child support because they don't want to. A lot of these people have barriers and it's very easy when you've never had to face a situation like that to sit back and be really judgmental, really judgmental with your clients, right? If you would just, why don't you do this? Statistically, what I've been reading is that the proportion of non-custodial parents 
who don't want to pay child support, who don't want to be more involved with their children's lives is very small. The proportion of non-custodial parents that don't have the ability is a much higher percentage. Right. And, you know, I think when you look at their barriers, if we can start addressing those barriers in child support, um, and one example that I just heard in my last meeting was giving a non-custodial parent a gas card so they could go do visitation because mm-hmm. that was the barrier. And what that non-custodial parent really wanted was to be able to see my kids. So, you know, that lens of understanding clients' barriers can help us achieve the long-term outcome of really providing much better lives and support for children and families, because that is in child support what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next was what do you see the role of child support and how it could intersect with the work that you're doing with TTS? Well, if you would ask me a year ago, I'm not sure I could have answered that question. Um, Wisconsin uh, Child Support Services has really enlightened me. And in essence, the, the dynamic that I feel TTS can bring to child support is first, the changing of the lens. And the second, and this was mentioned repeatedly, meeting people where they are. I heard a story of a, a, a case where the individual kept getting a job. They kept placing him in, in a job and the job didn't work out and they would come back. And this was a cycle. And from what I understand, it's not that uncommon. And when TTS was introduced, they added a question. What would you like to do? What's your calling? What's your dream? And it was woodworking. But no one, for some reason, that had not been tapped previously. It was all about getting him into a job so he you know, could start earning income. Well, long story short, they got him a job in a carpenter shop. And he's been employed since. <laughs> Perfect. It's you know, meeting people where they are and, and asking them what they want. And then we provide the backfill to that. Making dreams come true is what we do. Wonderful. That's wonderful. So you talked a little bit earlier about evidence-based and and the the data basically around it. So can you share with us a little bit more about the data? You know, what, what have you found? What, what can you share with us on that? I would be happy to, let me just pull this file real quick because I don't like to misquote. Well, I can tell you we have seven independent evaluations over the scope of the last 17 years. Our first study funded by the Kellogg Foundation, once they saw the impact that this work could have, they gave us a very large grant to develop the curriculum, the first standard of care, the client workbooks, uh, the measurement tool. And so this first study was done in Detroit at Head Start. It was a 15 month pilot with no new money for program. 
We used our existing staffing of family service workers in Head Start, of which there is a lot of non-custodial and custodial parents who are having child support difficulties in Head Start. After the end of 15 months where we mapped dreams, and when you went into the Head Start, the kids' dreams were on one wall and the parents' dreams were on the other, picture formed. Oh. We had statistically significant improvement in 14 of 18 social determinant domains, including income, employment, continuing education, financial management, and family relations. Again, no new program money. This was all accomplished within the funding mechanism that we have, but changing the lens for our clients, for our staff, and then mapping those dreams. Wow. Our second study is uh, at an outpatient behavioral health clinic. And it was the first study that had a reimbursable pathway. In, in behavioral health services, we can implement TTS and get reimbursed for that service. With only an average length of stay of eight visits, I'm sorry, six visits, at a cost of less than $600 to the health plan, we had statistically significant improvement in eight of 18 domains, including income, employment, food, and no surprise, mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's no surprise. You give somebody a place to live and some food, all, you know, the, the mental health is going to improve. Um, our third study was a homeless and runaway shelter. We had the kids for only two weeks. We helped them map their dreams before they left. The follow-up was 12 months later. And we still had statistically significant improvement in five of 19 domains, including housing, food, family relations, and community involvement. Three more studies in Hawaii, all with statistically significant results. The big one for Hawaii was we had statistically significant improvement in housing in each study across the three different islands. And our last study was done in Memphis at a, <coughs> excuse me, a federally qualified health plan during COVID. And our results were really profound. We had statistically significant improvement in seven of 21 domains, including family relationships, food, housing, and legal but we also had statistically significant improvement in A1C levels for diabetics and depression for patients uh, struggling with depression. My goodness. Seven studies. Impressive. Wow. Talk to me about what's going on with the Clinton Global Initiative. That seems exciting. Well, that was early on in our stage and it was uh, with the Clinton Global Initiative, they don't necessarily fund, they bring recognition. Okay. So after our Kellogg uh, results, uh, the Clinton Foundation actually reached out and uh, I was able to present 
at one of the Clinton Global Initiative conferences. And then after that, they gave us the recognition of being a, a Clinton Global Initiative. So nice. it's a more of a recognition component. Yeah. I'm sure you're very proud of that though. That's amazing. Very proud. Um, and also very proud of the support from the Kellogg Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, all of these champions, these people that hear about this work, like you, who are now giving me this platform. Our champions are the ones that are the game changers here. So now that we know about the work, we know that it is effective, that we actually get results. If you are one of our many lovely listeners of the NCA On Location podcast, what can they do to get involved, whether it's bringing it you know, to their own community, to their church, to their child support office? What, what are ways we can get involved? I so appreciate that question um, because it's one of the key fundamentals to social transformation movements. What I can say to the audience is, is if this work inspires you, if this work speaks to you, I have three asks. The first is to be intolerant of intolerance in all of its forms. The second is if this work inspires you, please visit our website. Learn more about it. Don't hesitate to connect with me. And uh, Veronica, I would really appreciate it if we could put up my contact information at some point. Absolutely. Um, tell others about it. Invite others to the website. If you're in a position, invite me to speak. I can do it remotely for free. And I promise you, based on all these years of speaking evaluations, your audience will also be inspired. And then finally, if indeed you're in a position, let's connect and talk about implementation. So essentially, intolerance of intolerance in all of its forms, learn more about the work, and tell others about it and don't hesitate to make introductions. If you have a professional organization, ask me to be a speaker, whatever it is you need, the more we can talk about the paradigm shift in the work, the more traction it gets. And finally, if you're in a position and you'd like to implement, um, let me know. Then we start the process. And you know, I think a really good example is uh, Wisconsin. Today, we are statewide in Wisconsin in um, workforce development, immigrant and refugee services, and our most recent is child support services. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. And the website, just to so we can make sure we put it out there for everyone, is transitiontosuccess.org, right? Correct. Transitiontosuccess.org. And the book, Diagnosis Poverty, Thank you. Which is available as well. I do want to plug the book because I think it's very important. Um, Thank you very much. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, uh, don't hesitate to, if you can post my email address, my phone number, to give our audience the opportunity to connect personally. You sure. are a champion of this work. And, you know, it's the champions that are taking this nationwide that are getting us 
the attention and promotion. And I want your audience to know I welcome their advice and their direction. Please don't be shy. Well, Dr. Marcella Wilson, this has been enlightening and informative and just a joy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for making this opportunity. Thank you to your audience for your time and your consideration. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thanks again to Dr. Marcella Wilson for joining us on the show today. And thanks, of course, to Veronica Riley for doing a great job with the interview, but also for her work producing and editing this episode. On Location is available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and check out our previous work as well. We also appreciate your ratings, feedback, comments, and suggestions. If you have an idea for a topic or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us using the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCIA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Tim Leitner and me. Thanks for joining me. I'm Joe Mamlin, and this has been On Location.